really did like and that gave me a wife. Uh, I'm going to take a page out of their playbook, except I'm not going to talk about one verse this morning. I'm going to talk about one word. <laughs> That's it. One word, 15 to 17 minutes. As George intimated, uh, once in a while I go to the New Testament to assure people of my salvation. Uh, and it's from Luke's Gospel, and let me read the passage and see if you can, Rainer, if you bring that up, see if you can pick out the word, kind of where's Waldo-ish. Pick it out. Uh, Luke's Gospel, of course, the early chapters, you'll recall, um, we've got the song of Simeon and the events in the temple precincts. Uh, one small passage I want to direct our attention to this morning. You see, at the same time as Jesus is being uh, presented with his parents and right after the blessing of Simeon, Luke tells us that there was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, or Peniel in Hebrew, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She'd lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage, but then was a widow for another 84 years. The text is a little bit uncertain there, but I think that... Her husband died after seven years, and then 84 years of widowhood was her lot. During which time, we're told, she never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Now approaching them, at that very moment, she gave thanks to God. And she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So what's our word? Uh, it's not Anna, which is unfortunate, because that would be a good one. That would be a good sermon. You see, Anna, as Stan Walters once taught me, is simply the Greek form of Hannah. So you have Hannah, and you have Anna. And my goodness, what a host of parallels. You have Hannah, who, of course, is a barren wife, not a barren mother, because that's oxymoronic, gives birth to a lad, dedicates him to temple service, sings a song about a coming king, and now we have Anna, temple precincts. What could be neater? That'd be a great sermon. But it's not going to happen, because that's not the word I want. Anna, Hannah, means graceful, favored one. Not today. She was a prophetess. Now, that'd be a good sermon. Carlene asked me today about a non-controversial issue, like women in ministry, and I thought I handled it like a typical guy. What I should have done is simply pointed her to Luke, too. That would have been the smart thing, which, of course, I didn't think of. Brian Stiller once told me, if somebody asks you a hard question and you can't think of the answer, don't worry about it. Just keep talking. The answer, it'll just come to you, which didn't work because I tried it today. Ask Carlene, which is too bad because the prophetess works. Deborah is a prophetess who rallies the tribes of Israel at a crucial moment in their story. Huldah is a prophetess who redirects Israel to the book of the law and warns the people of impending doom. One of my favorite prophetesses is unnamed, but happens to be the prayer partner of Isaiah. Read the story, Isaiah 8. Go and visit the prophetess, your wife, God says to Isaiah, and she'll give birth to a child and name him Mahar Halal Hezbaz, which means... Quick to the plunder, hurry to the loot. Only a prophetess could name their child Mahar Halal Hezbaz. I once said that very phrase. That's why I'm so good at saying it. In this sanctuary, and a guy named Tyler came the next day with a shirt, Mahar Halal Hezbaz. 
play ball hockey with a true story. But it's, uh, of course, a sad event in Isaiah 8 is talking about the Assyrian invasion. You see, in the Hebrew Bible, a prophetess is someone who sees the significance of a child. Everybody else misses it, but the prophetess, with uncommon intuition, with uncommon ministry, has insight that others lack. Anna is a prophetess who sees the significance of a child, and folks, that would be a good 16-minute sermon, but not today. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, praying and fasting. Now, fasting, that'd be a sermon, wouldn't it? Self-control in an age of indulgence. Somebody here ought to write that book. In fact, we're talking about feasts and meals, and I like the keg or cultures. I can go vegan if I have to, as much as the next person. But Anna, Anna's a voice of protest in the world of Luke Acts in the first century, Greco-Roman Empire. I mean, meals are a big deal. Order, banquet, where you sit. Not for Anna. She denies herself. She sacrifices. She exhibits self-control. She doesn't do things that normal people do. She is counterculture in a big way. That'd be a good sermon, but not today. She spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem, and the redemption of Jerusalem would be a good sermon, but that's a phrase, and I'm only interested in one word, which is unfortunate, because that's perfect. Why is it redemption of Jerusalem and not Israel? Well, Howard Marshall tells us that it's a synecdoche. Redemption of Jerusalem means Israel. And I'm just saying that because I wanted to say the word synecdoche. But if it's true, it actually works because I think that's consistent with Luke's theology. He's really interested in the larger story of Israel and does this throughout the gospel. And you can look at it on your own. You can look at the prodigal son, for example. We all know the story, and we know that it's an individual who does bad things, but then God grants another chance, and you come back, you say sorry, and all is well, and that's the gospel message. But it's also, of course, the story of Israel, who've been given great gifts, who squander the inheritance, who realize in the midst of the trauma of exile that there's a better way, and they return to God, who welcomes them back to the land that they earlier forfeited. The redemption of Jerusalem. See, that's the gospel message, and that would totally work this morning. But it's a phrase. I want one word. And what is it? I remember the other day reading this. I actually discovered it when I was in purgatory. I was reading uh, Divine Comedy Volume 2, and it, it was talking about the passage just ahead of this. So, of course, I'm ADD. I sort of jumped down, and one word leapt out at me. Avatar, 3D-like. And what was that word? You probably figured it out by now. That word is Asher. Right? Amen. Larry, where are you? Amen. <laughs> What's your default reaction when you hear Asher? Because you know what I think? I think Jerry Maguire, loser. I'm judgmental, so I can say that, I suppose. But the tribe of Asher folks were not successful. Not particularly famous. They had a key moment. Remember I mentioned Deborah a second ago? Judges 5. It's true. She issued a rallying cry to every tribe. Come. Come and join the fight. 
Let's oust the Canaanite oppressor. Let's live. Let's occupy. Let's dwell in the land which we have been promised. And some tribes, like Zebulun, like Naphtali, they answered the bell. They fought to the death. They sacrificed. Asher lingered on the coasts. Asher was content to sit by the rivers. They had this northern inheritance close to the Phoenician boundaries, famous for their commercial success. Some commentators think they really bought into that and got comfortable. And when the cry came, when the summons was announced by a prophetess, they didn't answer. And that's it. That was their 15 minutes, just like mine, almost over. They blew it. The tribe of Asher really isn't heard from again. I mean, you get mentions, I think, out of some sort of tribal compulsion, but that's it. They threw it away. They had a chance. And now, I mean, this is curious to me. You have this prophetess in the New Testament. Of all the tribes from Asher, why does Luke do this? What? What's he telling us? It seems to me significant as we read this gospel portion that Luke might be saying that past failures don't need to define us. I mean, here's Anna, who doesn't have a very uh, wonderful genealogical legacy, but she rises above, doesn't need to have that script define her. Uh, I'm guessing at some point there must have been some faithful Asherites because she knows that's what tribe she's from and Luke can write it down for us. So even in the midst of tribal unfaithfulness, you still can have covenant fidelity within your own particular clan and Anna must have been given that. So as a result, past failures don't define her and I don't think they need to define us either. Seems to me important that she's a widow from the tribe of Asher. Of course, you typologists out there will say, ah, she's a widow. It's like God's a widow, but that's about to end. So I suppose that would work, but I don't want to go there. What I want to say is, here's a widow from the tribe of Asher whose personal tragedy doesn't need to be the end of her story. I mean, as a widow, she must have known suffering. Uh, she must have been acquainted with grief, with loss, with theodicy. Even though that's a big word, it's an easy subject. God doesn't seem fair sometimes. She must have known loneliness. Yet with this amazing perseverance, she prays, she fasts. She refuses to give up for 84 years. What would you give up for 84 years? That's amazing. Imagine a quality of faith that would pray that consistently. That against all the cultural norms, no accommodation, doesn't give up. I think that's what I want to give to my tribe. That's what I want to give to my kids. The Jerusalem elite, the aristocracy, they don't recognize the Messiah when the Messiah shows up. But for us, it's Anna from the comparatively pathetic tribe of Asher, who does, whose past failures and tragedies don't define her. Instead, her self-esteem comes from a different source. Last question I would ask this morning, who's her father? It's a curious detail. She's from the tribe of Asher, yes, but she's also the daughter of Peniel. Penuel, as Greek has it. And we all know the meaning of that name because, of course, it's articulated for us in Genesis 32. Peniel means face of God, Jacob, the cheater. Speaking of compromises, 
wrestled with a man until daybreak. And realized, of course, something special. As he's given a new name at the end, realizes what? He's seen Penny L. He's seen the face of God, and he lives. So I think it's appropriate that Anna, daughter of Peniel, sees the face of God and tells us about it here in Luke's Gospel. So Anna, from the tribe of Asher, reminds us that disaster, that widowhood, that even the rejection of Jerusalem is in the last word. The last word, of course, is Jesus. Let's pray, because Father, you're good to us. And you give us good gifts, and you give us your word. And you don't just tell us about the redemption of Jerusalem. You lead us there. You call to us. You change our lives. And we submit ourselves to you. For Jesus' sake this morning. Amen.